You're listening to Burnout Made Me Do It, a podcast for Monday haters looking for change, where I share tips on how to prevent and recover from burnout and interview amazing guests that come and share their stories. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Hollingdale. I'm an ex-burner turned psychotherapist and coach, and I help people feel happier and more fulfilled in their workplace. Now let's get to the good stuff. Today I'm welcoming the brilliant Sarah Falk. Sarah, can you give us a little intro to you and the work that you do, please? My name is Sarah Falk, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker in the state of Illinois. I specialize in panic and anxiety, and I consider myself also an anxiety coach. I've been doing a lot of consulting to really just share with people how I approach healing anxiety and I'm very passionate about it. So that is what I do and who I am is a wife and a mom of four boys and a four-time cancer survivor. That's a huge part of my story. I have a private practice that I enjoy. I enjoy being with my family. I enjoy writing and I do a lot of writing about cancer and anxiety and just everyday life. I like to share resources and ideas through journal articles and blog posts. I love the distinction between what you do and who you are. I think many of us get very heavily invested in that what we do is who we are. And Mm. certainly for the folks that I work with early on in, in their careers, very much tying their worth to their outcomes at at work. And so that distinction, I think, is really lovely that you naturally kind of go to that. Thank you. So what is your experience with working with folks who have anxiety around their work or their careers or that kind of realm, which is where you and I, I think, intersect the most? Yes. And interesting that you would point out the distinction I made between what I do and who I am, because I've had to really learn to separate myself from that and to allow myself to be, just be, instead of always doing. I'm the type of person, if I sit around, I'm always thinking of 155 other things I could be doing. And it's like, no, Sarah, this is your moment to just be. You don't have to do just be. And that's really a foundational approach when we're talking about, you know, career oriented people who just, they can't disconnect. I think that's going to be your very first step. If you're trying to get a handle on some of that work stress is you have to find your way to disconnect. And maybe that idea of being versus doing would be helpful for someone to just kind of start thinking about that. Like I can just be, I don't have to do. Well, how did you start on that process? Because it sounds like you know intimately what it's like to have a hard time disconnecting or separating from our our work selves. How did you go about it first? Well, it was a trial by fire for me. I had two businesses. I had my private practice, but then I also am an independent publisher. So I publish all my own books and I have other books 
that I have published for others. So I have that small business and I had just had my fourth son and had just finished breastfeeding him and was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so here I am, busy household, busy work space. And I'm about to start breast cancer treatment, which knocked me down. I was very sick. I couldn't eat. I lost so much weight. I was weak and tired all the time and still running my businesses and still working to keep my family going and be who I could be. But I came to a point where I recognized I had to stop. I couldn't do all the things. So if I was going to continue to look at myself and value myself based on all the things I could do, then I was not in good shape. (laughs) You know, that emotional toll was just, it was too much. And I was listening to a podcast one day and there was a woman on who was talking about children. She said, children need three things to develop mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and that's time, touch and attention. And I thought, okay, I can just be sick on my bed and make eye contact with my kids, give them a hug, listen to their stories. I can still be there for them, even if I'm not really doing much of anything, but I'm being their mom. You know, I'm being a support. I'm being a presence for them. I held on to that. Even after feeling better, I took a lot of stress back on, but that was one thing that I did continue to practice was, no, I need to maintain that separation between doing and being. So important. So important. I know that for you, writing is both part of what you do and also who you are. And so has writing been part of your own self-care or does it fall now more into the work category for you? That's such a great question because honestly, I think writing had become a little bit of a chore because I started putting a lot of parameters around it, like utilization. Like, okay, Sarah, you have to get this many words in. You have to write about this. I had left writing alone for a little bit and I'm like, why am I so bunched up here. Why am I so stopped up? What is my problem? I just feel stuck. And once I started writing again and just writing, not putting any specifications or expectations on it, just write for the joy of it and the healing of it. That's when I was able to return to it. And you're right. Yes, it is part of who I am. I've always used words from very young age. I've kept a journal since I was six years old. Wow. It is very much a part of me. What do you think journaling does for either yourself or for folks that you work with, if that's part of the practice that you recommend? Like, how does it help people? I love recommending writing and I do it on a continuum, basically. So for people who think they're not writers, I recommend a brain dump. I say, listen, use as few words as possible, but just get all of the words that are in your brain onto the page however you want to do it. You don't use sentences, you just use the words. So they'll just throw words on a page and then come back and be like, that was so amazing. I had no idea. I didn't even think I would like to do that. But then all of a sudden they enjoy that process of having the pen in the hand of writing it on the page of having the words come out of their brain. You know, it's just a beautiful process. And then for those who, you know, 
they keep a diary, but maybe they're a little perfectionistic. I recommend using a spiral bound notebook because you can tear pages out and then you're not stopped at, Ooh, I just ruined this really beautiful journal. Or you don't look at this beautiful journal and say, well, I don't have the right pen. And I don't know what I would write in there anyway. We get into this thing where we have to make it all pretty. I love that. So we, we kind of make it less of a barrier to entry for those who aren't into writing. And for those that are, but have that more perfectionistic streak, which speaks very highly to me and a lot of the folks that I work with, we don't make it something that has to be permanent and the testament to our finest moments. I do an exercise. I I teach undergrad psychology alongside my coaching and consulting work. And I do an exercise with my students who are all relatively new to the ideas of thinking about themselves and thinking about their thinking, where we take a minute and write down every thought that's spinning around their head. And one of the things that we so frequently notice is that there's so much in our head at any given moment that we're not really attending to. I always say when folks are exhausted or stressed or depressed or just really having a hard time, we often don't comprehend how much our head is doing whilst we're going through that. We're like, I don't know, I'm not really thinking about much or there's not much going on, but we're like, no, no, there was 72 things that came up in that moment. Like that's exhausting. Yes. We just aren't necessarily always aware of it. Absolutely. What are the most sort of powerful approaches you take? What would you say to someone who's in that position and hasn't yet thought about getting some help? Yeah. Well, we start by noticing what are stressors and soothers, because oftentimes people choose things to soothe themselves and it actually ends up triggering them or stressing them more. I use the example of scrolling through Facebook, which is mind numbing sometimes, but then when you're done, I ask them to take note. Do you feel better? Like, did that actually help you feel better? Or, oh, I'm just going to get this project done. I'm sure that this will help me de-stress. But then you uncover like five more projects that you need to do. <laughs> so it's like, hey, how about, you know, going for a walk or sitting out in the sun or, you know, reading a book, these kinds of things. How about trying those? And then tell me if you feel a little refreshed or feel better after those things. So we identify the stressors and soothers. And really, I want them to think about all the things though, not just, you know, things you do, but the things they eat, how are they sleeping? So we look at mind, body, spirit initially, and we say, okay, where's the, I hate to use this word, but I would, I'll say dysfunction. Where's the weak link? And then we take a look at that. But I feel to find true healing, you have to look at mind, body, spirit, no matter what you're dealing with. Completely agree. When working with folks in, in my realm, those who are dealing with burnout specifically related to their work, there is a big trend within the workplace now to make it all about self-care, right? It's not about any problem in the system. It's not about any problem in the office environment. It's just about the person not taking care of themselves appropriately. Right. And so whilst that is a factor, it's not the only factor, but it's certainly the one that I start with with folks too, which is how are we attempting to look after ourselves when we're stressed? Certainly for myself, when I was going through one of my numerous experiences of burnout, my soothing was alcohol. My soothing was 
junk food. My soothing was staying up too late with my friends because I wanted to get every moment out of the time that I wasn't working. And in my 20s, I hadn't quite thought about what that was doing for me. And like you say, looking at how are we spending our free time and is it giving us bang for buck in terms of recovery and health and wellness? And I certainly know a lot of the folks that I work with certainly won't mind me saying that their weekends end up being things that make their weeks worse, not better. As soon as you started listing those things off, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> yep. yep. This, yeah. is, this is 20 year olds in England. This is how we do, or this, this is certainly how I did back then. I was going to say, it sounds the same here in the US. So. Familiar, right? And <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't quite understand why I was not feeling great, right? I mean, there were numerous factors that were to do with the workplace and the whole career field that I was in, but certainly that as a strategy to kind of offset some of those stresses was not my most successful plan, but it's it's a well-worn path for me and many of my friends. What's your number one sign that you are burning out? I get snippy about everything, like agitated, just super agitated. And then I recognize, oh yeah, it's time to back off. It's time to step back. My husband likes to say, Sarah, every yes has a no attached to it. Like if you're saying yes to one thing, you have to remember that you're saying no to something else. And oftentimes I'm saying no to myself, Mm. no to alone time or no to writing time or this kind of thing. So his voice echoes in my head. I love that phrasing for every yes, there's a no. So every time we are agreeing to do something, we are blocking ourselves from doing something else. I'm relating this to my work, but every time that the boss, the manager, the team says, oh, can you just do this one more thing for me? We allow it because we're like, oh, it's one small thing. It's like 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. And what we don't think about is what that is taking away from us, right? It seems so small in the moment, but that's time with a loved one. That's time resting that's time doing your favorite sport or your favorite creative activity and like you say spending time for yourself versus in service of somebody else you bring up a very important point and one thing that I do address especially with because I work with a lot of entrepreneurs Mm. but I also work with people in corporate America. And one of the trickiest things is talking about setting boundaries in the workspace. It's true. One of my clients in particular that comes to mind, she would say yes to everything because she's extremely capable. So everyone was coming to her and I was like, wait a second though, (laughs) that's not your job. You're doing her job and she's getting paid for it. So let's, you know, let's figure out how we can communicate some boundaries here because you're burning out. It's such a a tough space, right? The boundary setting, because I feel like there's a combo of, you know, everyone wants to be liked. So there's certainly an amount of people pleasing that goes on for all of us, whether we consider ourselves to be quote unquote, a people pleaser or not. We just, you know, we like to be liked, go along to get along. And for a lot of us, again, our our value is still very attached in our productivity or how much the folks around us in the workplace value us or think we're good at our job or rely on us. And so sometimes we're, we're doing it for them. And sometimes we're stretching ourselves and doing it because we get a certain amount of validation from it. But that all adds up saying, again, to use that brilliant sage wisdom from your husband, 
every time we are saying yes to an extra thing, we are saying no to something else. In my past career, which was in public relations and mostly in agency settings, every time I said yes to saving somebody's butt on a media relations campaign, I was saying no to investing in improving my writing or going after parts of the job that were more fulfilling to me. And that was also part of my burnout is I was spending too much time in an area of the work that I didn't enjoy, but that I was good at and could help other people with and not enough investing in the things that were going to help me grow and learn and continue to be excited about the work that I was doing. And so it affects people in very different ways. Everyone likes to be liked and saying yes is a very speedy way to being liked and valued in the workplace. But that's a really good barometer. If you think about it, am I doing this for them or am I doing this for me? Like, is is this just me? Is this just me people? please? Am I doing this just because I want them to like me or am I doing it because I want to be helpful or useful? And I know that that will help me too. Mm -hmm. It's not about not helping others, but it's, it's about recognizing, okay, is there a healthy balance, right? I don't want to make it sound as if I'm saying don't help, you know, (laughs) don't be useful, don't be helpful. But I think we have to be careful and balance that out a bit. Like, okay, yeah, I will help them, but I can't say yes every single time. I don't want to create a dependency upon me to do their job. So it's, if there's a balance there rather than I'm just constantly doing these things because I want people to like me. And it's what gets the seal of approval in the office. I think you make a, a great point, which is the idea of reinforcement, right? And getting into these behavioral patterns when as a manager in my past life, folks would submit things to me that weren't quite ready to be released or needed a little bit of work. My inclination at first was always to just do it and get it finished because it's quicker if I do it. And of course, what that was reinforcing, and and by reinforcing for those of you who aren't familiar with the sort of psych terms, is encouraging the behavior more. I was encouraging people to submit things to me that weren't finished or weren't sort of publication ready because I would do it for them. And so whilst it took me more time to give them feedback, give them notes and coach them through the process of getting that material client ready or publication ready, it ultimately trained them to try to be more to that level of of finished product before it got to me. And so sometimes being the helpful person, you know how it is, the more you help, the more you end up doing. I call it a posture. And I show my clients what anxiety, stress, overwhelm, burnout looks like in a posture. And since this is a podcast, I'll explain (laughs) that posture. It's basically fists clenched, bunched up as close to your body as you can get them. And all your muscles are tightened, your shoulders, everything is just tightened. That's kind of the posture of anxiety, stress, overwhelm, burnout. But the spiritual posture and the spiritual act, the spiritual movement that I like to talk about is going from one of like being all clenched up and tight and and anxious to one of open hands, palms raised, shoulders down, muscles relaxed. And this is the posture of surrender. We tried to hold so tightly to all the things at work and at home, 
all the things we want to control anything we can and all the things we can't. <laughs> and once we allow ourselves to open and to hold things loosely in this posture of surrender, we reduce our stress. We reduce that anxiety. We let go of that overwhelm and we can heal from burnout because in this space, this is where we can just be. We don't have to do anything. We let go, holding all the things very loosely. <laughs> but then in this posture, we're also able to receive. And that looks different for everyone. Something that is often hard for the folks that are listening today, the comfort being giving and leading and constantly going back to earlier in our conversation, constantly doing and being kind of validated by that or feeling worthy because of that. And thus, when somebody else tries to give to us, we're not always able to receive it or really able to, to take that in. Thank you so much for talking with us today, Sarah. Thanks for joining us this week on the Burnout Made Me Do It podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you'll never miss an episode. And if you want to know how much burnout is costing you, you can go to my website, www.burnoutmademedoit.com, where you'll find a free burnout calculator. Till next time, friends. Remember, Mondays aren't the enemy. Burnout is.